Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and in this episode of I'm the Gun, I'll be rounding out a pretty much unplanned trilogy of looks back at a few of the great aviators of comics history. I've labeled the last three episodes, including this one, Air Fighters, which uh, incidentally is a name I've borrowed from the very loose-knit, loosely associated pilot characters published back in the Golden Age by Hillman Comics. Hillman had a title called Air Fighters Comics, and that was the book in which a ton of aviator characters debuted, including Airboy, Skywolf, the Black Angel, Iron Ace, Bald Eagle, and of course Valkyrie, who I devoted an episode to recently. This time out, I'm going back to the dawn of the Silver Age of comics again and having a, a little recap of the debut of Johnny Cloud, the Navajo Ace. Johnny Cloud debuted in issue 82 of All American Men of War, cover dated December 1960. A World War II fighter pilot, Johnny Cloud was created like so many of DC's war heroes by writer Robert Koniger, who wrote this first story called The Flying Chief. The story was drawn by Irv Novik, who I think of primarily as a Bronze Age artist on The Flash, but did some, some really great war book work, including the stunning cover to this issue. It's probably one of my favorite covers of all time, a huge close-up portrait of Johnny Cloud that takes up half the cover as the, he peeks through the canopy of his plane at a couple of swastika-emblazoned bombs coming his way. As a voice crackles through his headset, Dive, Chief! Bomber dropping sticks of bombs on you! It's such a weird string of words, almost like baby talk or broken English, but I'm assuming his authentic military short talk, considering the amount of war story copy that Kaniger had written. Novik's inks, I find, really interesting on this cover, for such a huge headshot, which itself is kind of unusual. The inks are really kind of sketchy, not bold and crisp like you might expect. Something really kind of modern, or at least not 1960 about it. It really stands out and played a part in my obsession with tracking down a copy of this book. So like I said, Robert Koniger created so many of DC's war heroes, but Johnny Cloud stands a little bit apart. Not only was his cover appearance a little unusual, but just the nature of his character was, dare I say, a little groundbreaking. It wasn't every month in 1960 that a major comic company promoted a minority leading character as a cover feature, not to mention the length of time Johnny Cloud held that feature spot. Uh, but getting a little ahead of myself, let's, let's take a look at the story, shall we? So the story, Flying Chief, opens with a first-person narration by Johnny talking about his birth and early life. For days after he was born, Johnny remained unnamed by his Navajo parents as they were waiting for some sign from the Great Spirit. Sign came sometime later in the form of a giant cloud shaped like a warrior riding a winged horse. So the child is named Flying Cloud. Just after the baby's name, the gathered family and elders witnessed the cloud seemingly attacked by bolts of lightning, but the strange cloud continued to float on undeterred. A portent of things to come? We'll see. So this cloud is definitely is very persistent. It doesn't dissipate. In fact, it seems to follow young flying cloud throughout his, throughout his life. 
The boy imagines himself as the rider of the winged horse. Another little bugaboo following flying cloud throughout his life is ridicule by the white people he meets. Bullies at school take to calling him chief. And in one playground altercation, when he gets knocked down by some young punk, the sight of his namesake Cloud inspires Flying Cloud to take down the bully. But even in physical victory, he feels like he loses the battle for respect. As the gathered crowd cheers on, Hooray, Chief! That nickname that he hates so much follows him into the Air Force, even where he's admitted as John Cloud, and where the Spirit Cloud uh, continues to watch over him. But the ribbing continues when he's assigned to his first airplane, an emblem of an Indian chief riding a winged horse is painted on the side with the words Flying Chief. And his deadpan refusal to show any emotion or reaction to the kind of prank as uh, a subject of some nastier ridicule at the hands of his flying mates who just want to see Native American stereotypes. And I guess one of these was to be unemotional. During his first flight with his assigned squad, Johnny hears through his headset that the squad leader, to make Johnny feel at home, has changed the name of the group to the War Party, with each pilot taking a number in the squad. The displeased, to say the least, Johnny is assigned the call name War Party 3. And uh, during the patrol, Mac, the squad leader, tells the group that they're out after quote-unquote enemy braves. When John is the first to spot a group of Nazi planes, even the pilot's keen eyesight is turned into some negative Native American slur. At this point in the comic, there's a great house ad pushing the uh, first issue of Justice League of America. Text copy says, Just imagine the mightiest heroes of our time, Superman, Batman, Flash, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, John John's Manhunter of Mars have banded together as the Justice League of America. And it shows that great cover to that first issue with the Flash meeting Despero in a game of super chess. But uh, back to the story at hand. Johnny thinks the only way he'll earn respect is by taking out some enemy bogeys himself, so he requests permission to attack. This request is denied... Mac orders War Party 5 to lead the attack, and War Party 3, John, is ordered to assume last position in the group. Squad makes short work of the surprised enemy planes, and John, who didn't fire a shot, imagines his spirit cloud looking on as witness to his shame. On the next day's mission, the War Party is sent to intercept a group of enemy bombers, but is confronted by a swarm of enemy fighters as well. Over the radio, Mac tells the squad that they're pretty much on their own, calling out, quote-unquote, Chief once again, saying in his... In this instance, he's now able to call his own shots. Seeing at least a couple of his wingmates meet their doom against the wall of enemy planes, John's instinct is to climb as high as possible, leaving even his cloud brother far below and then enter a screaming dive toward the bombers. He manages to tear through a couple of planes and uh, take out a couple of bombers with them. In fact, his actions provide a spark for the squad. And Mac, 
still unable to let go of the Native American analogies, says that the chief has stampeded the bombers like a herd of buffalo. This, of course, causes John to wince. <laughs> Suddenly, Johnny finds himself in the crosshairs of two enemy planes. He also finds himself just before his big brother in the sky and his namesake Cloud, which continues to follow him around. And he thinks to lose his attackers by flying right into the Cloud's embrace. The cover of this special Cloud allows Johnny to loop around and take out each of his targets. When he emerges from the cloud to regroup with his squad, John finds himself under heavy fire, but from out of the blue, Mac flies between Johnny's plane and his latest attacker, absorbing most of the fire. Someone takes out the Nazi, and Johnny follows Mac's ailing plane to the ground. Mac's plane crashes, and as Johnny pulls his squad leader from the wreckage, he's told he did a good job out there chief and with his dying breath tells his now assembled squad that they could do a lot worse than chief for a new patrol leader meanwhile johnny's shedding a few tears over his dead commander and the, the judgmental comments keep coming from his wingmates look he's crying i thought indians didn't cry but there are voices of reason too like they've got hearts they've got eyes just like anyone else and Mac's word is good enough for us. We'd like you to lead us, Chief. So in a last panel voiceover, concluding his narration, Johnny Cloud says that uh, this mission and Mac's death provided a lesson for everyone, a teaching moment. The rest of the men learned that all men are equal, which may be assuming too much from this group. And uh, Johnny himself learned that it's not what you're called, but what is meant that really matters. And in the last panel, Johnny's plane leads the others on a raid. Now he's completely embracing the native people's stereotyping lingo, saying himself, Flying cheap to happy braves, rustlers ahead, stampede them. And there's a little caption box at the bottom asking readers to write in if they wanted to see more of Johnny Cloud, the flying chief. And uh, right in they must have, because Johnny showed up in the next issue of All-American Men of War, and the next, and the next, and the next. He actually held on to his lead feature for 40 issues, which is remarkable for a minority character at this point in comics history. I can't think of any other non-white characters from around this time who had that kind of longevity. Maybe there's someone obvious I'm not thinking of, but... Uh, Johnny Cloud was eventually ousted from All-American Men of War by a certain World War I fighter ace by the name of Steve Savage, the Balloon Buster. And uh, Savage treated his title like one of his planes and crashed and burned All-American Men of War right out of existence. So I don't think this issue has been reprinted to death. Uh, you can only find one reference to it having been reprinted, and that was in one of those thick... 100-page genre reprint packages that DC put out in the 70s, so this first Johnny Cloud story to this day is a really rare, a rare find and a rare treat. So Johnny Cloud, he'd quickly lose the Flying Chief nickname. He'd be more commonly known as the Navajo Ace when he turned up again as a guest star throughout DC's war line in the 60s. 
He eventually found himself in the group The Losers, which would team Cloud with uh, fellow Conagher creations Captain Storm, Gunner, Sarge, and Pooch, don't forget Pooch, as they took on uh, special missions for the armed forces. The Losers would go on to star in the lead feature of Our Fighting Forces for 60 issues, so that makes about 100 appearances Johnny Cloud made as either a feature lead or a co-lead. Very, very impressive run. Of course, war comics were pretty much all but done by the 1980s, and so that made some of the war characters expendable. The losers, even Pooch, I think, were early casualties of DC's house-cleaning maxi-series Crisis on Infinite Earths. They were murdered by shadow demons, which, of course, played no part in World War II, so, so their death was modified a bit later to involve some more down-to-earth warfare. The uh, now-sadly passed uh, Darwin Cook told another version of the Death of the Losers in his excellent DC The New Frontier series. Um, and I think there's a version of the Losers story where they survived the war, too, as well. Uh, but no matter how he met his end, Johnny Cloud certainly had a place, large place in DC history, which is carved out by Robert Conagher, Irv Novick, and so many others, and deserves to be considered among DC's great war features. Alright, before I get out of here, I do want to, I want to dedicate this pre-memorial day episode to my favorite war hero, Louis J. Prue, who fought the Ratsies in Belgium and France and spent over a year in a German prison camp. He's also my pa, and he'll be 91 in August, and I'll actually be visiting him in Central Florida in a couple of weeks, so I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, and one other thing, I wanted to acknowledge a very rare comment on the show's blog, imthegun.blogspot.com. This comment by Dean Compton, who runs the Unspoken Decade blog, which covers all things 90s comics. Dean left a comment on one of the episodes I recorded as part of the Best Event Ever crossover I participated in, in which some uh, fine folk and I covered DC's Bloodlines event from the early 90s. Dean writes, how could you not have invited the unspokendecade.com, the best 90s comic site on the net to play? Ha 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 ha, for real, great job. Well, yeah, sorry for that oversight, Dean. I'm sure you'd have a lot of insight to offer into probably the most 90s of the DC crossovers. Uh, that whole thing started out as a Twitter conversation between the eventual members of the Confederation, Professor Allen of the Relatively Geeky Network, the Coffee and Comics blog, Between the Pages... Al Sedano of the Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, and uh, Diablo Frank's DC Bloodline show. Uh, and it ended up coming together fairly quickly. At the tail end, I half-heartedly tried to sell the other best event ever-ers in a uh, summer look at Millennium, which is technically 80s. Um, but when we get around to Genesis, we'll let you know, Dean. Deal? Anyway, I appreciate you writing in, so thank you for that. Okay, that is it. I'm out of here, so until next we meet, keep them flying. <laughs>